Welcome to Fraggle Shrugged, the podcast where we read Atlas Shrugged, the classic libertarian mystery novel from 1957 by Ayn Rand, and watch episodes of Fraggle Rock, a Jim Henson Muppet TV show from the 80s. And why do we do this, you ask? Well, of course to discover all the deep hidden connections between the two that we are absolutely convinced are there. My name is Henrik, and joining me as always is my co-host Siegfeld. Hello. Are you ready to get randy? Are you uh, ready to get frackly and freaky all over the place? Yeah, I'm already slowly breaking down. I can feel this is <laughs> yeah. like, Jesus, the, like 10 episodes in, I'll be slammed. This is going to be like really transcendental because this is just the beginning where we are, okay, sort of mentally still sort of somewhat there, but... 10 episodes, 20 episodes, 30 episodes in, we're going to be on a completely different level. I still find the 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 whole thing with having my Bible, which it has now become, like my Bible beside <laughs> me of Ayn Rand, having this thick book, it's exactly like sitting around with a Bible. When we had to do the podcast, I sat down in the chair and it was like, it feels like going to church. Oh, yeah. Well, I can bring you some good news with that. Mm -hmm. We now have... Less than a thousand pages left. So uh, wow. we're almost there. We're almost home, baby. Jesus. Because it looks so innocent when you look at the book yeah. because the version we have is very condensed. But then I looked at the audiobook length again. I was like, Jesus, this is never going <laughs> to... Oh, no, well, this is for life. <laughs> what have we done? Like, why do people do this for pleasure? I I'm not sure I get this. Um, just for some perspective, I, I got out of my ruler... Yes. This book is uh, four centimeters thick. We are three millimeters in. <laughs> I like I like the idea of counting it millimeter by millimeter. So every <laughs> every single episode will get one millimeter down in this fucking book. It feels appropriate for this one. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, what do you think of this chapter? Because I, I actually thought it was kind of a slog to get through. It was it was kind of tough to get through. There isn't much happening in this chapter, really. Oh. Uh, and let, we'll get into it when we talk in depth about the chapter. I found it really hard to listen to because this time they clearly just they clearly flip the switch when it comes to protagonists <laughs> and antagonists. I mean, that's the whole thing with the book. <laughs> it's that's the gimmick. What the good people usually say are the villains' dialogue. What the villains usually say are the good guys' dialogue. And that is that is an interesting gimmick, I guess. Although in the audiobook version I was listening to, it is so weird to hear like rational thought being expressed in a villainous voice. It's just I really have to get used to it. Yeah, but at least it moves forward by itself when it's an audiobook. Imagine just paging through all these. Uh, obnoxious paragraphs of nonsense yeah i would never do that and you're reading it twice right yeah i just was about to say that i want to remind people that i'm actually reading these twice because i want to uh, take it in and get the impressions first and then only afterwards get into like the analysis and pulling out sentences so i've read this shit twice and it was torture <laughs> you sure must be a masochist at this point like there's no way about it i'm melting down but it's on the plus side Fraggles are good. Fraggles are goddamn delight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's still good. That's still fun. I really like this episode. Yeah. And it was very, uh, very appropriate for Rand, uh, for Randian analysis. Very much. But, uh, but let's get into that later. Should we do the... The summaries. The summaries. There you go. Let's do some summaries. So you were talking about making the summaries in a more condensed version this time around? Yeah, I thought of a little gimmick. Um... Because the last times when we uh, summarized, it tended to get sort of long-winded and uh, unstructured. So I thought we might have a little game, mm -hmm. might do a little gimmick. So what if we set a timer? So the person doing the summary has one minute to get through covering just the broad strokes, mm -hmm. giving a summary in one minute. That seems fair. We'll do it like real tense and uh, building up with uh, sound effects. Exactly. Let's let's create some tension here, also, so the listener don't fall off his or her chair while listening to this out of pure boredom. Yeah, because because this chapter is a lot of ins and outs of iron mining availability and economic consequences of mining infrastructure, and it's not really interesting. <laughs> but um, should we do some uh, summaries? I'll just crack open that. I just 
Just crack open a beer there. Oh, yeah. That seems nice. And to the listener, we are recording in the evening. It's okay. I'm not that much of an alcoholic yet. Give, give it a few chapters. It is fine. And it's Monday, so who cares? Yeah, I'm, I'm out of... I'm, I don't have a job. I don't have I'm not at school anymore. <laughs> Which is the perfect time to do something like this, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Are you doing uh, Atlas Rock this time? I think I'm doing Atlas this time. All right. Put a minute on the timer. I will start the timer. So, chapter three, the top and the bottom. We have three scenes in this chapter. We have the first scene. That's a meeting of what seems like bad guys in a dark basement bar on the top of a skyscraper. So all of these apparently really bad guys, but maybe good guys, are meeting and on top of this skyscraper bar and talking about how they want to take over the world with their dirty, dirty socialism and their free market with a social conscience. So apparently this is bad. Sure. So we're checking in with Dagny. Her life story uh, is... Uh, so, fuck. I don't make pals. <laughs> fuck. So, checking in with Dagny, her life story, a conversation with her brother and her thoughts on as the founder of the company and a chat with a cigarette salesman. So, this is basically what happened. She, ta- she tells her whole story and her weird relation to her family member. And I think that's it. Was that the time? Yes. It's hard. It is very hard. <laughs> Jesus. So, let's get a bit deeper into this uh, chapter of Atlas Shrugged. Mm-hmm. So we had these three scenes that you mentioned. A yes. meeting of the bad guys, uh, a lot of diving into Dagny's life, and uh, I think you may not have had time to mention the last one, but we're checking in with the lonely weirdo, Eddie Willis, who was just mucking about and talking to a guy who doesn't respond. Yes, exactly. That's the very last end of the chapter. Yeah. But it's just a slog to get through the last uh, of the chapter. Nothing really happens. It's just him it's- ranting. It's very, uh, the, the entire thing is very heavy. But, uh, okay, the, the bad guys, they are Jim Tackett, the brother of Dagny, and Mr. Oren Boyle, who was president of the steel company, who was supposed to deliver the steel rails, but then Dagny ordered from the Hank Reardon guy instead, mm-hmm. ordered Hank Reardon's moist metals. Because that's how she likes it, clearly. But we have two more people present who don't really do anything. We have Paul Larkin, a weird little friend of Hank Reardon's from last chapter. And then we have a certain Mr. Wesley Mouch, who's sort of a mysterious character because he, he doesn't get to say anything. He just, he's really just a sad character. So these people are sitting around on the bar that's really basement-like. I mean, it's, it's dark, it's dingy, it's... Uh, it's creepy. And where is this basement bar located? At the top of a skyscraper, of course. Of course. It is the most expensive bar in New York. <laughs> Although the drinks and the lighting are awful. Yeah, they, they make it sound like a really low-class James Bond villain cave thing. <laughs> yeah, or just the worst bar room ever. <laughs> Jesus. And, and But the way they go through with this scene, like we were talking about in the beginning, like I really don't get it. It's... Okay, so they have some flaws in their way of thinking about stuff. But in general, it seems very clear that this is just guys (laughs) discussing how they could actually, with a social conscious, run a free regulated market. Yeah, I mean, it all makes sense. (laughs) Everything Boyle says is sort of all right. He seems reasonable. How is this the bad guys? I I don't get it. Yeah, I mean they they say things like it's been proved that every business depends upon every other business, so everybody ought to share the burdens of everybody else. Exactly, and, but that is so terrible. And there's nothing more destructive than a monopoly. How is this the bad guy in a book about how capitalism is good? I don't get it. What? <laughs> I mean. How do you go so far into capitalism that you end up with favoring monopolies above everything else? How how do you horseshoe so far around the political spectrum that you end up being like a socialist again? Something tells me that Ayn Rand haven't really understood capitalism or the, like, seem like it. the functions of it. 
And that is so, it's so funny. And this is also, because this is the baseline, as far as I'm concerned, of the whole neo-capitalist movement. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, are these just people who don't get either socialism or capitalism? I mean, what they want is um, communism, but without the communism, just the... Really, they just want a kingdom. Mm, yeah, basically a, an old school kingdom would be in the vein of this, yes. So she's basically just a, in, in favor of monarchy rather than capitalism. <laughs> Because she's really not into nepotism. But at the same time, she's really into nepotism. Like her, uh, the, the mental gymnastics that Ayn Rand have had to do in order to go through this reasoning is just beyond comprehensible. It's truly is astounding and we gotta give her credit for that at least it's a, it's a bold move it's a, it is like it is a uh, it's a bold way just off the cliff like geez. yeah okay so uh we have this wesley mouch guy who's just sitting there and nobody talks to him and even paul larkin who's the most friendship thirsty guy ever <laughs> uh I mean, this sentence, Larkin jerked his head away. It was almost a shudder. He could not bear to look at Mouch. So everybody just hates this guy. Mm -hmm. The only thing that is said directly to him is Jim Tackett saying, What I like about you, Mouch, is that you don't talk too much. Poor Wesley Mouch. I feel bad for the guy. But that's a quality to have, I guess, to be quiet. And in this scene, he might as well. Yeah, well, it turns out right at the end that he's uh, Hank Reardon's Washington man. But until then, he was just a, a guy who was there that nobody liked. And the way they describe this Washington man, everyone has to have an ear in the Washington. Just a, yeah. She does not like the government. Let's, uh, nope. Let's keep it at that. All right, so let's uh, check in with Dagny Taggart. Mm -hmm. Woman or freckles in a trench coat? Who knows? At this point, we could get back to... Let, let's let's go into her part of the chapter, and then maybe let's have that discussion afterwards. Yeah, but keep it in mind, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's uh, still a weirdo. Sure is. She, she always felt uh, imprisoned among dull people, even though she's a dull person herself. <laughs> so. No, she's an exciting person. Remember, she has a degree, a college degree, so that's... Oh, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. And she likes classical music. Uh, yes, exactly. That's basically the most exciting two things about her. <laughs> yeah, so clearly, life of the party. And also the fact that she worked all her way from the bottom to the oh, top. Yeah. She's just like the rabbit Drake. She started from the bottom, now she's here. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> that meant that uh, as a 16-year-old, she got her first job at Tiger Transcontinental as the night operator of a small country train station. Yes. So really the bottom, right? Being in in the family of a long line of people running a railroad. But I mean, just let's let's unpack this scenario because it's also we're also told that she's in college at the time. Mm -hmm. So 16-year-old girl in college studying engineering all day. Then at night going out to the countryside to man just a, a significant piece of the railway infrastructure because like a, a train with a train every station is important because the signals are to be adjusted and stuff she can't just fall asleep there so this is a 16 year old sleep deprived girl uh, handling this essential infrastructure whatever drugs they're giving Daphne I want them. Like, they yeah. must be very effective. She's on fire. But, I mean, obviously, we're not meant to question this at all. No, no, not at all. Like, this is not how time works or the world. The world bends around Dagny, I guess. Yeah, she she makes it like she wants it. Um, and we learn of a new character called Francisco de Anconia, mm -hmm. who is the world's richest man from copper mining <laughs> apparently very profitable in the very very profitable in this universe at least in this and uh, he's both uh, seen as a worthless playboy and a phenomenal financial talent so i don't know how that fits together how uh, maybe he's just batman oh yeah maybe he is actually a batman that oh 
I mean, it, it sounds like how people see uh, Bruce Wayne in like the Dark Knight and stuff. So when do you know when the Batman character was created? Was that in the fifties? I think it was around the the forties or fifties. So it, so she could have just stolen the Batman character. Oh, let's uh, yes, yes, let's yes, keep let's... that in mind and see if he does anything bat-like in the future. <laughs> let's see if we have to include Batman the animated series into our mix of <laughs> things we have to watch. <laughs> But okay, this uh, this uh, Deanconia guy, he has got some scam going on. He's bought a whole lot of land in Mexico and claims there's a rich deposit of copper that he's gonna mine there. So everybody's just clamoring to get their share of the mines. And Jim Taggart has built a specific railroad going down there, but there's no proof that there's anything there at all. Mm-hmm. And Dagny seems suspicious that this may not be uh, quite truthful this uh, mine but am i am i remembering the chapter right or is she obstructive to the point where she basically flips a switch and obstructs his entire way of running trains on that line i mean she's uh, she's in charge of operations so it's her prerogative but she has made sure to remove everything of any value from the train line and just runs a, an antique uh, wood-burning train once a day on that main line of the railway infrastructure. That might be one of the most passive-aggressive moves I've ever heard about. <laughs> yeah. But, it, I mean, her argument is that... Uh, it seems that Mexico has turned into some sort of socialist nightmare state. And she's just uh, protecting their resources. Yeah, by slowly running things to the ground. Yeah, but she's still the hero, remember? Yeah, yeah. Because to remind us that this is the hero, we get Jim Tackett saying some really villainous stuff, like really vile and evil stuff. Like, bring it. Material greed isn't everything. There are non-material ideals to consider. Oh, what? how evil, how fucking dare he keep in mind the actual human condition. Oh, oh he's no. disgusting. He's a horrible how human being. vile. Saying that greed isn't everything. <laughs> so, yeah, this is where we're at. Yep. We've talked about how, how Ayn Rand describes everybody as very thin, right? Mm-hmm. We, we get this again. Because he sees Dagny bend over sheets of paper, the light of the desk lamp glistening on strands of disheveled hair, a white shirt clinging to her shoulder, its loose folds suggesting the thinness of her body. What is it with this thinness? Uh, I think Ayn Rand has body issues. At this point, it would make sense. There's no other explanation. But yeah, the rest of this uh, scene is uh, a lot of Basically, all of Dagny Taggart's life story and her uh, ancestor's life story and everything mashed into one tedious rant. Mm-hmm. Because we also learn of uh, Mr. Nat Taggart, who founded the Taggart Transcontinental Railroad Company, but we'll get into him. Yes, that is a big cliffhanger because... Yeah, we have a section dedicated to him. Entire section, jeez. Okay, so uh, just wrapping up the... Wrapping up the rant. Wrapping up the rant. We have the lonely weirdo, Eddie Willis. Exactly. We get to hear about Eddie Willis, who has a conversation with a, with a worker. What we get is him leaving work and going to the cafeteria for the workers at Tiger Transcontinental, which is underground for some reason. Um, he would rather go there than the restaurant above ground for the executives. So Because uh, he's one with the people. I guess. Not to be the guy who cried fraggle, but he seems more comfortable oh, underground. Oh, interesting. We have to keep an eye out for Eddie Willis then. Yeah, it's a, it's a fraggling characteristic, at least, seeking to go underground to just feel at home again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, at this uh, cafeteria, he sees a guy that he's talking to frequently, apparently, some worker guy, and just goes over to him and spouts nonsense monologue for for like an entire page, I think. It's endless. But uh, should we leave the, the, the Atlas Shrugged for now? And then we'll definitely get back to some of the plot points. I mean, just a quick speculation, just to get it out of the way. This worker, mm-hmm. is there any proof that he really exists? Oh, is he a figment of their imagination? I I suspect so. I suspect that uh, Eddie Wallace is just going underground and hallucinating his balls off. 
and just that might be the case talking to his imaginary friend yes yes yeah I, I, I could go with that reasoning <laughs> that would actually make sense in a weird way in this book yeah because everyone must be on drugs the way they are behaving <laughs> they must be on drugs it seems the most logical explanation okay should we get into some fraggles let's get into some fraggles so same rules you get one minute I'll do a timer here if I can find it. So yeah, you'll have one minute, and then you have to go through the entire the entire plot. That- oh, Jesus, you had you had the easy one here. <laughs> oh <laughs> yes, I had because oh you're gonna- there's so much shit to get through here. Three plot threads interwoven with each other. Twenty four minutes. Okay, I, I ready. I'll I'll go. Now. I am so ready. Okay, episode three of Fraggle Rock. Three to four plot lines interweave. We have the duck who is uh, fixing his water heater because there's a banging noise in the pipes all the time that he's irritated at and and then he wants to fix. Okay, so meanwhile, the fraggles are uh, are in the cave and um, Red wants to do a swimming show, but the water disappears um, because the... Ah, shit. (laughs) Um, Go, go. Because uh, the gorks are pu- pumping out the water, and it turns out that that's pumping out of the the fraggle pond, and uh, and the duck has turned off the water because because he, he he's fixing the boiler so they can't get new water because they they think that they get new water by just banging on the pipes, guys, and yes, yes, sacred yes, yes, ritual. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, it's not working, and uh, so so they get to oh, fuck. Go um, go go! No, I'm I'm out of I'm out of time. I, I, you did better than I could, I would say. Okay, let's get into it a bit more uh, casually. Yes. Okay, we have the duck. The main human is fixing the water heater. Red, the the red fraggle, surprise, is doing a swimming show, uh, showing off uh, magnificent swimming skills. And the Gork King, who may be Mr. Schimmelfinny, mm-hmm. takes a bath. And then we also have a threat with Uncle Traveling Matt, uh, who sends a postcard. And these plot threads all affect each other and interweave in a sort of a complex layered way. But in general, everyone is looking for water because the pump is out of water. So this affects everyone across all universes. It's a very water-centric uh, episode and, might I say, very infrastructural. Yes, I was also thinking that this might as well be like yeah, a train line. It's, it's the most uh, Randian fractal rock has been so far, I think. Also, because we see how each character perceives, or, or at least how the infrastructure interweaves with their way of living. Just the rest of this uh, summary. So... The red fraggle is a very... Uh, she believes in herself. She has high self-esteem. She thinks she can do anything, especially put on a swim show. Uh, so she depends on the water being there in the fraggle pond. But the duck turns off the water supply. And meanwhile, the gawks are pumping out the water from the fraggle cave to give the gawk king a bath. Mm-hmm. So suddenly the water runs out because all the water has gone into the king's bath. This is a crisis. How are they going to pull off the swim show without the water? And what is the Gork King going to do with the half-filled tub of water for his bath? So, crisis, crisis, crisis. Like in the real world, like when we run out of water and everyone dies in a in a heat stroke? <laughs> I guess the stakes are really high in actuality here because water is uh, very important. But we learned some uh, some world-building stuff about the Fraggle uh, homes because it turns out that they have this system where every time the water disappears, they get some guys called the Pipe Bangers to come along and uh, hammer on those pipes with some sticks and make some funky music. Uh, but this time it's not working because the water supply has been cut off. So what do they do? Well, Gobo Fraggle. The ever-so-crafty Fraggle. Oh, yes, yes. Because he has gotten a postcard from his uncle, Traveling Matt, who is out there uh, misunderstanding the world as usual. He sees people uh, opening umbrellas and then the rain falls. And then he, logical as he is, he thinks, oh, these things are the cause of rain. Mm-hmm. So he, he observes some phenomena and draws a conclusion as a good scientist. Very scientific, yes. So now the fraggles think that umbrellas can cause water to fall from the sky. And lo and behold, there's an umbrella in the dark's room. So, 
they go out and get that and bring it to the pipe bangers but the pipe bangers just think it's a magical stick to bang the pipes with so they bang away mm -hmm. and luckily at this point the dark has finished his work and is turning on the water again so it works banging on the pipes with an umbrella and the water returns and they can have their swim extravaganza and the gorks can get water for the bath again and everything is good so no one really learns anything from this hassle not from the, not from the plot itself but uh The character Red sort of learns, she sort of has an arc parallel, really, because what she learns doesn't really affect the, mm -hmm. the plot itself. But, she, I mean, she has an arc. She, she starts out being very insistent that she, she can do anything on her own. Uh, but then she has to go get the umbrella on her own because she thinks, ah, I can do it on my own. But she's too scared, so Gobo comes and helps her. So she learns the value of friendship. Yes. And... This made me think of a character, actually, in Atlas Shrugged, very clearly, this red mm -hmm. character. I think she reminds me an awful lot about Daphne. Yeah, I have that, too. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uncanny. Yeah, if she's, if she's a fraggle, I would say we have to keep an eye out for red. Because this whole attitude towards, I can do anything, you bitches don't owe me shit. <laughs> I think, uh, I think it's not a, a direct quote, but it could have been. It could just might as well been. Uh, she, she has an entire song about how she can do anything on her own. Uh, and not to spoil anything, but uh, those are candidates for the most Randian sentences. <laughs> oh, yes. And she's either the most Randian or the most feminist character we've had yet. Yeah, it's, a, it's an even split, actually. Yeah, but then again, I mean, Dagny is also sort of a... A strong female character in a world where men try to oppress her. So sort of in both these two, we have uh, a strong female character who wants to move up in the world and who is talented and believes strongly in her own talents, but the world around her, men in particular, tells her that she's not good enough. I would say for those two characters, talented is a stretch. <laughs> well, benefit of the doubt. We haven't seen all that what they can do yet. <laughs> oh, yes. I am, I'm, I'm still to see Dagny's talent, I would say. Right now, she's a mumbling idiot. <laughs> well, she's always sleep deprived. Imagine what she could do if she just had one night of sleep. <laughs> Maybe just fucking sleep instead of working in the trenches, you dumb idiot. Jeez. So we've gotten into, gotten into the plot points of the two, and, and we have got the overlaps. Yeah, I mean, I have some observations about this Fraggle uh, episode that I just want to uh, bring out. Because mm -hmm. uh, that duck's water supply comes from the same pipes, right? Yes. For his drinking water. <laughs> Is it drinking the water full of the Fraggles have been bathing and I'm 100% certain they pee in the pool, those fraggles. Oh, yeah, they do. It's going to be some super funky water that a guy gets. <laughs> and peeing isn't the only thing the fraggles no. do in that pool, I can assure you of that. <laughs> so uh, I was thinking about that and feeling kind of queasy. They are singing in that pool, that's for sure. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's... We haven't learned anything specific about a fraggle reproduction, um, but we have Red kissing Gobo, and he says, whoa. So it seems something has been awoken in this poor fraggle. I, I, I imagine if they have to reproduce, it must be done by at least four songs. Yeah, and in the water. So, <laughs> so have fun with that, duck. So should we move on? Because we're slowly veering into a... More dirty segments. Should we should we go on to the to the Fifty Shades of Gold? It seems only fitting by now. Yeah, that's probably the time. So we were talking about page sixty three. Yes, uh, because we were teasing a bit this Nat Taggart character. Yes, the founder of Taggart Transcontinental, mm -hmm. ancestor of the Taggart siblings. And he is not a problematic character at all, indicted for murder? No, 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 no. He is not a, he is not a, a, a creepy murderer. But it was, it was fair. Like, someone tried to steal his money and he allegedly tried to murder someone. By the way, the way Daphne talks about this, in, like, the way she almost has schadenfreude about him murdering someone, is insane. <laughs> okay, should we um, get into some... Let's get it all. 
It was said that Ned Taggart has staked his life on the railroad many times, but once he staked more than his life, desperate for funds. With the construction of his lines suspended, he threw down three flights of stairs at distinguished gentlemen who offered him a loan from the government. Then he pledged his wife as security for a loan from a millionaire who hated him and had admired her beauty. He repaid the loan on time and did not have to surrender his pledge. The deal had been made with his wife's consent. She was a great beauty from the noblest family of the southern state, and she had been disinherited from her family because she eloped with Ned Taggart when he was only a ragged young adventurer. Dagny regretted at times that Ned Taggart was her ancestor. What she felt for him did not belong in the category of unchosen family affections. She did not want her feeling to be the thing one was supposed to owe an uncle or a grandfather. She was incapable of love for any object not of her own choice, and she resented anyone's demand for it. But had it been possible to choose an ancestor, she would have chosen Nat Taggart, in voluntary homage and with all of her gratitude. Nat Taggart's statue was copied from an artist's sketch of him, the only record ever made of his appearance. He had lived far into old age, but one could never think of him except as he was in that sketch as a young man. In her childhood, his statue had been Daphne's first concept of the exalted. When she was sent to church or to school, she heard people using that word, and she thought that she knew what they meant. She thought of the statue. The statue was of a young man with a tall, gaunt body and an angular face. He held his head as if he were faced with a challenge and found joy in his capacity to meet it. All that Daphne wanted of life was contained in the desire to hold her head as he did. Are you wet yet? Oh. Are you freaking moist? <laughs> Are you entertained? <laughs> So she has a problematic relationship with her ancestor. She likes him. Like I, I, I just want to, I just want to skip back a page because I noticed the sentence. Mm. Um, and the way she looks at his statue, it is described, and I quote this fucking book: "To look at that statue whenever she crossed the concourse was the only form of prayer she knew. <laughs> she is worship, literally worshiping this guy." A guy that uh, is violent, clearly he threw a guy down the stairs and was indicted for murder. And uh, and every single time she describes this, she just gets more moist about the idea of him murdering someone. <laughs> a girl can dream, can't she? Oh, yeah. And Dagny's, Dagny's into some weird shit. But it's, I mean, these Fifty Shades of Gold uh, things, I, I think we made the right call with that. Mm-hmm. I noticed one thing uh, this Time around when I opened the book and looked at the contents. Oh yeah, the, the the fucking euphemisms hidden in the chapter descriptions. I mean, it sounds like something chapters would be named in Fifty Shades of Grey. I wouldn't even say like Fifty Shades of Grey, but like this is like a weird homoerotic uh, cling to it. At least it's very sort of sadomasochistic, uh, like the chain and the top and the bottom. Yes. And the sacred and the profane, the aristocracy of pull. The exploiters and the exploited. And of course... There's this one just called The Climax of... Yeah, I was saving that one. The Climax of the the Anconias. Get ready for chapter five where we are climaxing. (laughs) And we haven't climaxed yet? 
<laughs> oh no, we're just. Oh, we started. have a chapter called Miracle Metal. <laughs> I didn't even see that one. Oh no, <laughs> Miracle Metal. Oh my god. Oh, we should keep reading this book. Clearly, never stop reading. <laughs> That's right. No. I just want to give a quick bonus Fifty Shades of Gold rant here mm-hmm. because we have this cigarette vendor who's telling uh, Dagny about how much he likes cigarettes. And it's clear that he's, uh, uh, he, he's, he's turned on. The cigarette is not the only thing that's turned on here. No. <laughs> he's, uh, he's moist enough to put out the cigarette. <laughs> yes. Go for it. Read the rant. Uh, I like cigarettes, Miss Taggart. I like to think a fire held in a man's hand. Fire, a dangerous fire, tamed at his fingertips. I often wonder about the hours when a man sits alone, watching the smoke of a cigarette, thinking. I wonder what great things have come from such hours. When a man thinks there is a spot of fire alive in his mind, and if and it is proper that he should have the burning point of a cigarette as his one expression. This is just masturbation. This isn't is it? just a cigarette. No, this is masturbation. God damn it! Clearly, I'm calling this. This is just masturbation. Yeah. So on that note, should we get into some wokeness? <laughs> should we get into some fucking wokeness? Yes. I am. I am done with the Fifty Shades chapter now. I am putting this book aside for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it is too moist. <laughs> yeah, try the book out and <laughs> get on with the program. So, how woke are we this week? Oh, we're in a weird spot, aren't we? Because we have yeah. still have strong female characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you were, as you were talking about, we have strong female characters in both stories this time, but we also have in At the Shrugged a strong female character who are clearly madly in love with her family member. That's a psychopath. Yeah, but it's a uh, it's it's a distant relative, so it's it's not that it's it's, it's an idea she's in love with. It's, I'm willing to look past that. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, the guy was an unpleasant person, though. Like. Putting putting your wife up as a as safety for a loan, even with her consent. And what's up with her? Why is she consenting to that? Why is no one questioning this behavior? Oh no no no! Who is questioning this behavior? Apparently, all the bad people who are obviously questioning him and being like, no one should do deals with this psychopath. What are you a villain? Are you evil? Of course you should do deals with Ned Taggart and his no, violent temper. He killed someone. Allegedly. Allegedly. You, you. This is the O.J. Simpson of Atlas Shrugged. Jesus, he did it. <laughs> yeah. So beyond that, we have a little of racism. Mm-hmm. I noticed from the otherwise reasonable Aaron Boyle. He says spick, which is uh, an ethnic slur for Hispanic people. So Oh, uh, I didn't catch that, actually. Behave, Aaron Boyle. You're losing your stars, the second most reasonable character in Atlas Shrugged <laughs> after Hank Rian's wife. Oh, yeah. Oh, I hope she, uh, we get back to her. We have got to. I'm missing her already. Mm-hmm. Her and the trash heap are the two. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're the same character. Who knows? Oh, my God. No, I think she was sickly thin <laughs> like everybody else. That can't be said about the trash heap. No. The trash heap eats well. She likes to take care of her booty, ooty, ooty. And like... <laughs> oh, yeah. it's a, There's some uh, jiggle in that. Uh, oh, yes. She's got literally got junk in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> so, the backdoor test. Yeah. Um, people, we did it. Three and a half minutes into the third episode of Fraggle Rock, it passes the Bechdel test. Wow. How? Guys, we should have a, like a fireworks display or something. Do, do we have a... Can you make a like sound every single time some, some, something passes the Bechdel test? I will put in a... I'll put in a weird noise and it's coming right here. Ooh, that was a good weird noise. And Atlas Rocked. Did that pass? No. Of course not. 
I wonder with more than a thousand pages, mm -hmm. isn't she gonna pass just by accident sooner or later? <laughs> she must. She must. Like in a in a weird rant, she must at some point. Maybe because does it count if it's talking about a building? Mm, it's gotta be a pretty female building. But, I think it, like, if you think of the Taggart building, I think that's very phallic, so I oh. don't think that counts. Oh, no, no, no. Every single building in this universe is, like, phallic. I think trains are sort of phallic as well as they oh, yeah. plunge into a tunnel in a mountain. There are a lot of dicks in this story. <laughs> For a novel by a woman featuring a female protagonist, it's very, very dick-heavy. surprising amount of dicks. Then again, why do you think the book is moist? Oh, yeah. <sighs> like, Jesus, okay. Iron Rand, put it on a radiator. You're just too moist yeah, right now. Just, just take a break from writing. Fix it and come back to writing. You, the typewriter is not running anywhere. I can, just see, I can just see her in front of her typewriting, clearly smoking, like, oh, yeah. moist to a crisp, and then slamming the fucking typewriter. Eccentric, probably smacked on some drugs she found somewhere. Yeah, yeah. The, you, you can't write this book neither dry nor not high. No. Should we get into, should we get into the awards? <laughs> oh yes, time for some uh, great sentences and characters. The highlight of the day. So the most Fraglian sentence in Atlas Shrugged. Yes, I have two contenders and a clear favorite among them. The first, if everybody could pull for a common purpose, then nobody would have to be hurt. This is Paul Larkin, liking everybody. But my favorite is, which I think is genuinely Fraglian, mm -hmm. from Jim Taggart. Friendships are more valuable than gold. And these are the people who are supposed to be evil. Oh, and this is the devil himself lacking friendships. How fucking dare he? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with friendships. Like, it sounds straight out of Frag Rock. Yeah, it sounds like he's just visited the trash heap. <laughs> so. So that wasn't, that wasn't hard? The most Randian sentence. That's a bit harder. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a few runners up, but then, of course, there's the, the big red song which is, is bound to uh, provide some good material here. Let's just nominate that entire song. <laughs> we could. But uh, let, let's warm up with some other sentences. Mm -hmm. We have uh, the duck getting technical in a way that Rand would appreciate with, there's a gasket missing from this joint over here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we have uh, the pipe banger, we, who we haven't really touched on, but is a great guy. It's most art, but then pipes work in wondrous ways. Mm -mm. F f 55 more sentences and it would be Randian. Yeah, yeah, if you could drag that out. It sounds like something Dagny would say. And then also from the pipe banger, nothing happened. That's a summary of Atlas Shrugged so far. <laughs> <laughs> we could literally have replaced these 66 pages with just that. Yeah. Nothing happened in metal. Okay, and then Red. This is my swimming show and I can do it on my own. <laughs> Straight out of Dagny's mouth. Dagny and Red, same character. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, I guess Red is the top fraggle in the stack of fraggles that is Dagny. Yeah, but who's the bottom? Who's the top and the bottom? <laughs> is that the chapter title? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Well, maybe she's only two fraggles then. A top and a bottom. A top and a bottom. She sings a song uh, about doing it on her own. With uh, I'll just quote some lyrics here. Mm -hmm. Why pretend when you want the best and we all know that I am her? Don't pretend that no one else has got abilities. I don't need pretending. All I need is me, me, me. <laughs> and later, I can give myself the prize for popularity. Dagny's theme song. I think we're just gonna we're just gonna nominate Red as a character and as the best sentence. Like just her character. Her character is the best sentence. Yes. Whatever comes out of the mouth on that one is just. Well, just to be proper, let's uh, let's give her the prize for popularity, which she gives herself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She deserves it. She's a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, but but she learns. 
kind of. I wonder whether Daphne will ever learn something doing this. Oh, she will not. Actually, we, we missed this in Wokeness, but Red's arc is kind of sexist. Oh, how? Because she's a female character that, uh, that thinks she can do anything and uh, then she tries to do something uh, brave in getting the umbrella from the room with the dog mm -hmm. and she breaks down and the man has to go and do it for her and then she just goes along. Oh. She's, uh, what she learns is, is that she can't really do anything rather than that she can do anything. And it's very clearly positioned that the male characters just do it for her. <laughs> so. What a wonderful arc to display oh, to children yes. in a children's TV series. So much to learn there. So some best characters. Red. Like red, 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 red. Well, let's get ahead. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay, okay, okay. okay. So in Atlas Shrugged, mm -hmm. I nominate Wesley Mouch, the weird, sad guy that can't get a word in edgewise because I just feel sorry for the guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, fair honestly. and uh, then Oren Boyle because he, god damn he makes some good arguments oh yeah, yeah he yeah, may yeah, be yeah, a yeah. bit racist but otherwise good guy <laughs> like a, a dent here and there but actually a reflective guy yeah, no one's perfect I, I'm rooting for Oren Boyle <laughs> I think you're going to be disappointed down the line <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then the third I, of my nominees is Eddie Wheeler's imaginary friend <laughs> I uh, I feel for the guy. I could actually I could go with Boyle this time. Yeah, for being the overall good bad guy. Yeah, the voice of reason. <laughs> the voice of reason in this atrocity of madness. Yeah. Okay, and the fragments. Of course, Red is nominated. <laughs> mm -hmm, clearly, but I also want to nominate that pipe banger because he's he's the boss. Also, here here's an overlap with like a weird porn name. The pipe banger. Oh, yeah. Apropos of that. Um, I don't know if you caught that, but he has he has my nominee for the most erotic sentences uh -huh. of this episode. It's an exclusive award that we are giving away this time. <laughs> to the pipe banger. Yes. Okay, listen to this. Take it away. Almighty moisture. This is the most fantastic banging stick I've ever seen. <laughs> This could also go for the most Randian sentence, to be honest. Actually, it could. <laughs> Actually, um, we have one more, which also could be Randian, because it brings back the funcest of the Taggart siblings. <laughs> he says, brother and sister bangers. <laughs> I mean, as soon as you think of bangers in that sense, pretty much everything he says becomes erotic and weird. Oh, this is a children's TV show. And we have a guy laying down some pipe, just banging away. Just banging the pipes. Just banging the pipes. But uh, is it enough to give him the best character award? Sadly, no. No. Red deserves it all the way. Red deserves it. I, I think he could go for best phrase sentence. I think at least as a runner-up. Yeah, I think we could... Uh, yeah, let's put it under best phrase. That, that only seems fair. So... Um, Should we get into the best phrase? Yeah. Um, so, Adler Schrucked. Jim says, The blight of unbridled competition. Which I, mm -hmm. I found that amusing. It was, mm -hmm. I had a hard time finding those really intense... Weird word constructions in this chapter. It was sort of light on those, but this, I thought, had that really heavy just blanket of words crashing down on themselves. And at the same time being absurd because un unlimited competition is, is, a, is a curse now. Yeah, of course it is. In this universe it is. I'm just supposed to be a capitalist. Um, but yeah, coming off of the chain episode mm. um, of the chapter, I, I think it's good to have a breather chapter. Yeah, I guess well, so. She, uh, she's she's putting it out light this time, but mm -hmm. but uh, then again, this is her description of a bartender. Uh -huh. His job was that of a servant to men's relaxation and pleasure, but his manner was that of an embittered quack ministering to some guilty disease. If that is not a gay sentence, I do not know what is. <laughs> gay sentence? Okay. <laughs> but then 
Well, I think she'll win here. We already had that uh-huh. with Nat Taggart. The statue was of a young man with a tall, gaunt body and an angular face. Mm-hmm. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is an Iran bingo. Yep. Jackpot. Gaunt body and an angular face. This man is Ayn Rand's dream guy. <laughs> she just loves them angular faces. Like. Yeah, those tall, weird, skeletal, cadaverous bodies. <laughs> what was the word again? Oh, I, can't, I can't remember. Like the ranky. No. Fuck. Gangly. <laughs> Gangly, there you go. <laughs> The gang everybody. <laughs> so isn't that an automatic win when you have both I, a gaunt body is. and an angular face in one? It, it, it seems like machine learning just constructing Ayn Rand sentences at this Whoa. point. <laughs> oh, we should do that at some point. Oh, yeah. Okay, for the fraggles. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, I have one last Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. But nobody ever paid any attention to Wesley Mouch. Aww. I just want to get it in there because it's it's the saddest sentence of the episode. Okay, Fraggles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, Fraggles, go. Mama Gawk calls Junior my nimble-minded knight. Ooh. I thought it was good. Yes, yes. And another erotic sentence yes. from Uncle Traveling Matt. An umbrella is a wonderful object. Not only does it get you wet, but it also keeps you dry. <laughs> I have a I have a clear favorite. Mm-hmm. Yes. And finally it's a good thing I never get rid of anything I throw out. Oh duck. Oh. I think I'm going to go with the umbrella sentence. It's a good yes. moist sentence. <laughs> and with that covered, I think we're just about in a I think it's a wrap. I'm going to go in a co- corner and cry now. So <laughs> Yeah, I am out. Seems the reasonable thing to do. I'm out of yes. I'm going to get an imaginary friend like Ed, Ed Willis and just talk about Dagny Tackett forever. Okay, see you next time for some more Fraggle Shrug. This podcast is produced by Monegale Media, a small and independent Danish media collective. If you want to learn more about this podcast and our other projects, visit our website at maanegal.dk. That is Monegale with two A's up front, .dk. At the moment, most of our stuff is in Danish, but we are looking to expand our selection in English in the future. So, you know, stay tuned. To the madness. <laughs>